Well, again, uh, good morning. Welcome to Richland Church of the Nazarene. We are in our second to the last message in our series, um, Who Needs a Reason for the Season? It's going to pop up there in just a second. Um, in the first week, we discovered that our faith needs a reason for the season. Um, there are a lot of questions that we could ask about Christianity, um, the ark, the Bible, the age of the earth. I mean, there's a thousand questions, but really, our faith depends on really one question, who is Jesus Christ? And so we kind of looked at that that first week, and then the second week, we discovered that the world needed Christmas in a huge way. If you lived before Christmas, B.C., uh, you would have lived a very short, brutal existence. Existence. Um, and we find out that whenever Christ enters a community, it changes the community. The community becomes a loving community. Now, we all know through history that sometimes the message of Christ has been perverted and, and what Christians have done around the world are actually atrocious. Um, but we're learning. We're, we're learning, right? Um, and living for Christ, it's a, it's, a, it's a wild ride. It's a wild ride. Um, and today, as strange as it sounds, God needed Christmas. God needed a reason for the season. I, I want to start off by just um, making something uh, that, that you are all aware of. I'm just going to kind of put it out there so that we can all kind of look at it. This is called a parent's wish. Right? Um, if you have been a parent, if you've ever been a parent, if you are currently a parent, if you hope to be a parent, or if you're figuring out if your parents have a brain. Right? <clears throat> this should cover everybody in the room here. Everybody's covered now. A parent's wish. Now, there's a very good chance that you've heard these words if you're a parent. I hate you. Can I just see if any of your children ever said that to you? Come on, be honest. Right? How about, how about I wish I'd never been born? I wish so-and-so were my parents. You're just trying to wreck my life. How about, would you please put the door back on the hinges to my bedroom? No? Nobody? <laughs> we were that close one time. <laughs> You're going to lose your door to your bedroom, girl, if you don't knock that off. Now, what kills me is right after, it, it, it's, they'll say something like that right after you've done something that they really needed, right? Something really loving, but they didn't understand, and they didn't understand that you were doing something for them, for their good, and for their future, but they just don't get it yet. They, did, they, they just didn't understand. So the parents wish, and I'm guessing that this will cover everybody, um, I wish my parents understood how, or I, excuse me, I wish my kids understood how much I love them. That's a parent's wish. If you can be very, very honest, even older parents with older kids, I wish my kids understood how much I love them. I wish I could convince them, demonstrate for them that I don't lie awake at night thinking of ways to ruin their life. That's not what I do. Like I go to sleep. That's what, that's what I do at night. I wish they knew that I'm not the enemy. Right? I'm on their side. How many parents have, have you ever wished that? If, if they could just understand, I'm on their side. Would you just raise your hand so that we can feel like everybody's a part of this? Raise your hand if you've ever felt this. All right, that's good enough. My goodness. If I could do this, this is the parent's wish. If I could do this, what, what, what would be the result? They would trust me. They would trust me. Even when I asked them to do something that clearly isn't in their best interest and it's in my best interest, they would respond, hey... For you, Dad, absolutely, because what? I trust you. This thing that you're asking me to do makes absolutely zero sense, but hey, I, I, I trust you, so I'll do it. I'll clean my room. I mean, whatever, right? What, whatever, Dad. And they wouldn't say, sure, doesn't make sense, but they would say, sure, 
That doesn't make sense, and I'm going to do it because I trust you. But what do you do if you're God? God the Father. Simultaneously, God the Spirit. Kind of intangible, unimaginable, seemingly unknowable. What do you do when you're in that situation? How does the Creator God communicate to His children? How can God be known and trusted? The answer is Christmas. The answer is Christmas. So I want to jump off from a couple weeks ago, the Apostle Paul in a letter to the, the Galatians. It's a region in modern-day Turkey. We, in our Bibles, it's called the Book of Galatians. Um, it says this, Galatians 4, chapter 4 says, When the set time had fully come... Basically, we, we looked at this a little bit a couple weeks ago when God had everything he wanted. He, first of all, he had an empire, right? He had a common Greek language, a very expressive language. It covered the entire known world at that point for them. Um, they had the Roman government, Pax Romana, the, 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 the peace of Rome, roads and canal systems and, and ways to travel around the Mediterranean world with relative relative um, ease. So we had, a, we had an empire. We had everything in place for that, but we also had a failed temple system, right? Corruption had replaced compassion. God was important, but people weren't important. That's when God fulfilled, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, the unbelievable, the incoherent, the impossible dream. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son where and when God knew the story wouldn't be forgotten, where it wouldn't slip through the cracks of history, right? That, that what happened in this little Jewish backwater of the Mediterranean world, and that is in fact what it was. Like you didn't go to the Eastern Mediterranean for any reason unless you were Jewish. Nobody went to that part of the world because it just was the backwater. It was an odd place. You went to Rome or North Africa. There are plenty of other places to go, but the Eastern Mediterranean, the very Eastern edge of the Mediterranean, not so much. <clears throat> It had to be written down. It had to be documented. But there's an even deeper question that the Christmas season brings up for us. And that's why. Why did God have to send somebody? I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that. Why God in a body? Right? Couldn't he have just breathed out a message? Because he can do that. Couldn't he have just sent another prophet Ask somebody to write another book of the Bible and explain, hey, right, this is what I need you to understand. Why not another prophet? This is the question I want to kind of leave you with for just a little bit of time here. I'm going to step down. The Muhammad family is going to come up here and we're going to light the, the advent calendar, the love candle. We're going to enter a time of prayer. And I want you to ask yourselves in your opinion, and, and what, I'm, what I'm doing right now, and I'm gonna, I, I want to give the Holy Spirit time, and I want you to wrestle with the Holy Spirit and, and not hear me talking for just a short little while here. Why God in a body? Why not a prophet? Why not another prophet? Why not a messenger? Why did he have to come in person? And I want you to reflect on your own life as we enter this time of prayer. Why do I need a personal God like that? Could, could this have all been done without that? Why? Why God in a body? And so right now, I want you to just, just bow your heads for a moment. And again, wherever you are in your life, why do you need God? Why, why, why Christmas? For you personally, this isn't going to be a theological question, but you personally, why did God have to come?
Again, why couldn't he have sent a messenger? Would you have believed a messenger? Crazy thing is the Israelites got sent a whole bunch of messengers, a whole slew of them. And the people just, either they didn't want to listen to the message, they didn't hear the message very clearly, they heard it wrong, or they just don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. God in a body, Christmas. If you bow your heads for just a moment. Father, this is the big question. The whole world asks this question at this time of year. They, they get the adult Jesus. They get a, 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 a man who, who does good and lays his life down for his friends. But, but to call himself God, that, that's, that's a big step. So, Father, this morning as we, as we seek answers, really, um, the Christmas story brings up so many issues and so many questions for us. This, a baby. Why a baby? Why not a full-grown man like all the rest of the Messiah figures at that time? But a baby. Lord, you had good reasons. And Father, as we look into those reasons this morning, that somehow by the power of your Spirit that they would make them that you would be able to make them personal reasons, and not, not these kind of theological reasons hanging out there for church people to ponder when they're bored, but Lord, that you would be incredibly personal this, this Christmas season, um, that we would look into the, the face of a baby and, and maybe for the very first time understand your love for us in the face of a baby. So, Father, this morning, every person who in this room, by extension, the friends and family of those in this room, the, the people in this room are praying for, um, that they would come to grips with the, a baby, God in a body, a baby body. Why? Father, this morning, through your word, we're going to discuss this question. We're going to look at this. And, and, and Father, I just pray that somehow through this week, this, this season, that we would be given an opportunity to share a message of love, the Christmas story with somebody. Um, Lord, that we would begin to pray for that opening, that, that time, with that neighbor, with that friend, that coworker, maybe that one that we really don't like that much but that would God would orchestrate a, a conversation. Father, thank you for all of those conversations that you've actually been trying to set up for a long time, but maybe we haven't had our spiritual eyes open and we haven't been seeking it, so you didn't show us. Father, this Christmas season, show us somebody who needs questions answered. There's no better time of the year than Christmas to answer those questions be because Jesus is on everybody's lips. Whether they believe in God or not, Jesus is on everybody's heart and mind. And Joseph and Mary, and why? Why? Why the brutal crucifixion 33 years later? Father, your word explains so much. And by the power of your spirit, your word will explain the why this morning. So, Father, bless this time that we have together. Bless the folks in this room. Bless their ears and their hearts and their minds so that they can take in what you have to say. 
Thank you, Father, for the power of your spirit who explains things like I simply can't. And yet the spirit calls all of us to help him explain things. I guess it's a team approach. So, Father, we thank you for your part and we ask your power so that we can play our part the way we're supposed to because we can't do this on our own. We need the power of your spirit. Thank you, Father, for your spirit. Thank you, Father, for you and a baby body. And we're going to figure that out this morning, Father. Thank you. In your son's name I pray. Amen. So why? Here's the question for us this morning. Why? Why not a prophet? Why not another messenger? Why, why God in a body? Um, and then the question gets, again, even a little bit more complicated. Apparently, God's not looking for the easy answer. He's not looking for an easy way out. The passage continues. When the, time, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman and born under the law. Those are two kind of funky phrases, a little bit different. Born of a woman. Basically, he's going to be human. He's not going to be God in a body. He's not... He's not going to appear to everybody to be God in the body. He's not going to arrive as a full-grown general with stars and, you know, the whole bit. Um, born of a woman, he's, he's going to be just like us. Just like us. Um, born under the law. He's not going to arrive with any kind of power, any kind of extra privileges. He's the same as all of us. We're all born under the law. This, this God in the body arrived with really nothing special, nothing that would identify him as God in the flesh. It was just this little baby boy in a, in a backwater Jewish town, born in a manger. Again, not just God in a body, but a baby body. And this body and a baby would not be a law unto himself. Paul continues, when the set time had fully come, God sent a son born of a woman, born under the law to what? Maybe some of you guys have your Bibles open already to what? Let me just kind of lay this out for you. You're going to have to read between the lines if you've got your Bible in front of you. Born of a woman, born under the law to do what laws and regulations couldn't do. To do what judges and generals have tried to do but they could not do. To do what priests and kings and prophets weren't able to do. To do what exile and punishment didn't do. And to do what sacred texts couldn't even do. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to do what you and I couldn't do. It had to be personal, right? It had to be relational then. If it had to be personal, it had to be relational. Messengers simply wasn't going to do it. God had to do this in person. God needed Christmas to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Another letter, another prophet, another miracle wouldn't have gotten it done. So at just the right time, God staged a demonstration. And I, and I love this. A demonstration, right? We, we know this action speak louder than words. If you're a skeptic, right? Don't miss the gravity of the Christmas story demonstration. God needed something documented. Right, we looked at this a couple weeks ago. So 3,500 years ago, he had a promise documented, written so that we can read it even all the way to today. And then 2,000 years ago, he had that promise delivered. 
3,500 years ago, a promise is made. And, and, and 1,500 years later, about 2,000 years ago, the promise is delivered. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about that promise. Because that promise is Jesus Christ. Paul writes it like this to a letter that he wrote to the Romans. This is in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates... Right? He didn't just write it down. He didn't send another prophet. He didn't perform a miracle necessarily for us. So what does God want to demonstrate? What does he want to prove? What does he want to show us in person? I'll continue. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. This. This is what the prophets had hinted at. This is what the, the Old Testament had been driving towards, had been foreshadowing. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's Christmas. That's the story of Jesus. That's the reason for Jesus. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And again, you've got to understand, this is Paul writing. And this is incredibly personal for Paul. Very personal for him. Basically saying, while I was harassing you all, while I was hunting you down in your homes and having you killed, Christ died for me. Right? For him to say these words, he didn't just become a Christian the easy way. He, he went the hard road. The hard road of the skeptic and the, the murderer, right? So this is, as he's writing, as he pens these words, this is deeply, deeply personal. And again, maybe you can fill in your own blank at this point, while I was still what? And I'm not going to have you raise your hands. For some of you, it was maybe while I was still self-righteous. Not necessarily while I was an evil person doing bad things, but just while I arrived at a conclusion that all the rest of you are evil and do bad things, everyone but me. There are people who, who think that way. In other words, God demonstrated, he proved to us before we had an opportunity to decide if we were for him, that he was for us. I mean, have you ever had to have somebody do something for you and, and, you, and you think, well, I didn't ask for that. Why, why did that person do that for me? I, I didn't need it, didn't ask for it. Only to find out later that what they did for you, you needed you needed it desperately. In fact, it was something that you couldn't have done for yourself, but you only figured it out later on. And when that person did that loving thing, you, you just asked, well, I didn't ask, well, what are you doing? Back off, back off. Lots of people kind of think the same thing about Jesus. Why did, why did he have to die? I'm not that bad of a person. Why did he have to be crucified? Why did he have all these trying circumstances? Why so bloody, beaten and scourged, crucified? Seems like it would have been a whole lot easier for he had just said, hey, everybody's forgiven. On his last day, on his way out, hey, by the way, you're all forgiven. And I know a lot of people ask that. Well, why did he have to die? Why, why all the horrible? Why all the horrible? I mean, it's confusing enough with the whole God in a body thing. And born under the law. Well, for one reason, if you read your Bible carefully... He tried it already. He tried it a whole bunch of times, right? Several times he would heal somebody and then he'd at the very end, he said, oh, by the way, your sins are forgiven. Good, that's not me. <laughs> I'm not, sorry. Um, and, and people freaked out. Not that, they had witnessed, not that they had witnessed a miracle, but that Jesus had claimed the power to forgive, right? That's what bugged people. They weren't, oh, a miracle. Whoa, 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 whoa. You just now walked on water. But wait, wait, wait. What do you mean you're forgiving people, right? You can't forgive for somebody else. You can't do that, right? You can forgive an offense against yourself, but you can't forgive an offense against somebody else. No mere mortal can do that. A messenger can't even do that. 
The messenger can come and apologize on behalf of somebody, but the messenger can't come and, and apologize with the, with, when, the, when the person who sent him wasn't apologizing. The messenger can't do that. That's not the message. Only a person under their own authority and power, right? And according to C.S. Lewis, only a crazy man on the order of a man who thinks he's a poached egg would say something like that, or somebody who's a liar, or somebody who's actually the son of God. You only have three options, C.S. Lewis said. Either the man's crazy, he's a liar, or you better listen to what he's saying. There's no other options available. So why did Jesus have to be a human being and die a human being so bloody and so extreme? I know I asked that on my pastor when we watched The Passion, the movie. Maybe I shared with you this before. I just kind of offhandedly, I, I made the comment, well, why was it all so bloody? Why? And, he, and he like, he turned on me. <laughs> it's like, you're a, you're a minister. You, <laughs> you don't understand the depths of your sin, Jerry. I was like, I mean, he, he did, he, he laid into me. Here's the reason why. God is the author of life. Now, just kind of hold on to that. That, 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 that. That's a good reason. Just hold on. Let me explain it just a little bit. Life is complicated. It's complex. It's sophisticated. Your brain is doing things right now that you're wholly unaware of. But the fact of the matter is God's fully aware of it. He's fully aware of what your body is doing right now, even if you're not. He is the source of all life. And the Jews knew this. They knew that he was the author of life. So a bit after the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus, Peter and John are having this conversation. They've healed a man. They've given his life back to him. And again, the crowd should have seen the connection. Right? Between the author of life, giving life, and who they just killed. They should have seen the connection, but they're either, you know, oh, looking the other way or pretending not to notice, pretending that they don't get it. But so, so Peter just spells it out for them. This is Acts chapter 3, verse 15. It says, you killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We're witnesses of this. And again, we can read between the lines. God allowed you to kill Jesus. All the way down to today, our ingratitude to the author of life is the exact same attitude that killed the author of life. We are as guilty as they were. I mean, you just kind of got to get your heads around that. We love to read the Bible and say, man, they were such losers. <laughs> but if you look at your life and you look at the life of your friends and neighbors, there's a pretty doggone close parallel between the Jewish people and us. We, we're still learning our lessons. We're still figuring this all out. That's how much God loves us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Other gods demand that we make the sacrifices, but our King and Savior came and said, I'll make the grand, big sacrifice. I won't ask it of you, because you can't deliver it. I can deliver it. The life and death of Jesus, the complete ugly humanness of the whole rotten affair, also demonstrates the magnitude of our ingratitude. Right? It's so easy to think, oh, my sins couldn't have been that bad. You know, my sin's not that bad. I know that guy down the street. Whoa, boy, y'all go take a look at him. Yeah, but here's the fact that every single, what, what the guy down the street's doing and what you're doing, both of separate you from the author of life. And additionally, the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus demonstrates the magnitude of his love for us. Not only the magnitude of our ingratitude, but the magnitude of his love for us. 
You cannot demonstrate love without sacrifice. We all know this. Parents, you all know this. I've talked about this before, right? The 99th time that you read chicka boom, 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 you're loving and you're paying the price for it, right? As you're <gasps> skipping pages and your little girl knows you're skipping pages, right? And they catch you. That's love. Love always costs, always has a price. It has to be shown to be known. And in most circumstances, the words, I love you, just kind of end up sounding cheap and empty. They're so easy to say, but they're so hard to fulfill. So how does God demonstrate at a personal level his great love for us? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he shows us how much he loves us. It had been a lot easier to show up full-grown like the rest of the Messiah figures. I mentioned that already, but no, he shows up as a baby. He has to learn everything that we've learned. He has to stumble along. He has to fall and bruise himself. He all the things that we went through as babies and children and preteens and teens and, you know, young adults, he had to go through all of that the same. He has to be humbled in every way. He has to be able to identify with us. Let me show you the passage right before our Romans 5, verse 8 passage. This is verse 7, right before he died for us, and that's how he showed his great love for us. Listen to this. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. I mean, we can understand someone dying for a, a person worth dying for, right? Our, our kids. How many wouldn't lay your life down for your children or your grandchildren, right? In an instant, boom. Not even a thought. And we also understand how somebody good and noble could inspire us to self-sacrifice. Right? We see this on TV. We see Melitha Etheridge singing a song about the animals. And I, I want to go adopt a dog even though I don't like dogs. And I just, oh. But God, but God, while we were still sinners, he demonstrated his love for us by sending Christ to die for us. God needed a reason for the season. He needed a reason and a way and a, a fashion to demonstrate and have documented his great love for us. Otherwise, how would we have ever known? It would have been a forgotten event 2,000 years ago in a backwater of the Mediterranean world. So we have it written down for us. We have it recorded for us to read right here. All documented. 13 or 3,500 years. So that we can sit down during this season and when our kids ask us hey is this all about santa and we're asking our granddaughter well, what do you want for christmas she's not real savvy yet you know what she wants for christmas presents <laughs> she doesn't care <laughs> just give me presents that's, that's all she understands that's all she, and, and i think at a certain level we're kind of on the same page as as georgie Right? Sometimes we just want to say, God, I don't know what I want. Just give me something amazing, just, and I'll be good with it. He wrote it down so that every, every year, for the past 2,000 years, we can sit down with our families, and we can read about the promise. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, we know for a fact, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. And he, there he quotes Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, just very quickly, we don't run around calling him Emmanuel. Hey, Emmanuel, come here. Okay, it's a title. Just like these up here are titles. These are four titles. Nobody walked around and said, hey, hey, Prince of Peace, what you doing this afternoon? Let's go out and play some baseball. No, they said, hey, Yeshua, Jesus. That was his given name. Emmanuel is a title, and it was a title that they had waited for somebody to fulfill that title since the days of Isaiah. Who would come and finally fulfill? Who would become God with us? And then the promise was fulfilled. So at the set time, why? Because we needed to see it to believe it. And I think you've said that sometimes to friends who have said things and then they didn't come through and then they said things again and they didn't come through and then finally you said no more words and a lot of people had looked at God like that you know you've said you're going to save us you've said you'll answer our prayers you said you would heal us you said you would heal our our world and our our people you said and you said and you said bottom line he had to be with us for us to know that he was for us God needed a reason for the season. Our faith did. The world did. God needed a reason for the season. And this Christmas season, I just want to challenge you. As you share the Christmas story with family, with friends, with children, with grandchildren, explain it to them as this is God demonstrating how much he loves you. That he would allow his own son to give his life for you. Make that a part of the Christmas story. Tell them about Santa. There's nothing bad about that. I mean, we, we all grew up with Santa, and most of you are fairly normal, right? You, you did all right. I think Terry wrote an article about this. It was a great article. But tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. Would you all bow your heads? Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that we get to celebrate every year his birth. Even though you didn't tell us to do it, Lord, we live in a culture that's short on celebration. The Jewish people, boy, they celebrated a lot. Father, this is, this is cause for celebration. Yes, we celebrate Easter at a whole different level, but this is where it all began. This is where the promise began. This is where the dots begin to be connected. And fathers, we share the Christmas story with our friends and our families. Help us to connect the dots. 3,500 years... 5,500 years now that you've been working this promise, Father, and you're faithful. And the final promise to be fulfilled, we're waiting for that when your son is going to return for us. Father, that we would make this the whole Christmas story. That you came once, fulfilled the promise, and you're going to come back again and fulfill all the rest of the promises. Father, this is the Christmas story. Thank you that you gave it to us in a way that we could so identify with a baby. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. In his name we pray this morning.